who's excited? Yeah, ooh! Nice, all right. We're doing better, we're doing better. All right, my name is Stone, I'm the youth pastor here at Revival, and I'm so excited for today, because we've got some good stuff. But um, that song, I think, transitions well from last week, because we're talking all about surrender and giving ourselves up to God, and that's a lot of what we talked about last week. Um, Alex told us about the temple. Who remembers how many rooms we learned were in the temple? 90. Nice, yeah. So there were 90 rooms in the temple, um, and who's the temple? Who's the new temple? We are. We're the temple. So if we're the temple, we have 90 rooms within us, um, kind of what we, what we went through last week. Which of those rooms do you need to give to God? Which of those rooms has the enemy made a place in? Which of those rooms do we need to allow the Holy Spirit to come into and to occupy and to clean out? We need to let the Holy Spirit clean out those rooms and guard those rooms against the enemy, guard our whole temple against the enemy. We're going to jump into Matthew chapter 12, verses 43 through 45. It says, When an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert, seeking rest but finding none. Then it says, I will return to the person I came from. So it returns and finds its former home empty, swept, and in order. Then the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they all enter the person and live there. And so that person will be worse off than before. That will be the experience of this evil generation. So that's where so many of us are at. We maybe we're stuck in habitual sin. Maybe we have an addiction. Maybe we're just struggling with something. And we get sick of it. And we're like, all right, God, take this. I want to be done with it. So we give it to God. We repent. We turn away from it. But the issue is that we don't close the door. We, we don't let the Holy Spirit occupy that room in our lives. We don't let the Holy Spirit occupy that room in our temple, right? It's, it's vacant. So then the enemy comes back. The second the enemy comes back, whether it's five minutes later, a day later, a year later, it doesn't matter. But when he comes back, that room is empty and he's going to come right back on in. And it's going to be even harder to get out of that than it was before. And I know in my own testimony, I struggled with that for such a long time. I struggled with habitual sin, whether it was lust or anger or envy or whatever it is, I struggled with that habitual sin and, and I got stuck because I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to keep falling into that sin. And every time I would say, God, take this. I don't want to do it anymore. I want to turn away. But every single time I would just leave the door wide open and every single time the enemy would come back, he would have such an easy time just coming, walking straight through the front door every single time. And I could not get past that habitual sin. And it wasn't until I finally confessed. I talked to Alex about it. I talked to my girlfriend about it. I confessed. I repented, not just saying sorry, not just wanting forgiveness, but truly turning away from that sin and turning fully to God. And I finally shut the door and put my defenses up. And it wasn't until then that I finally have just begun to find healing through that situation. So we need to shut the door. We have to put the defenses up. And even when our defenses are up, that doesn't mean the enemy isn't still going to come, still going to try to attack. He's still going to come after you, but if your defenses are up, he's going to have a much harder time getting in. 
So that's my testimony, but that's also kind of what we talked about last week. But while Alex was preaching last week, I felt like God spoke something to me, and that was, you can't win a war by staying within your own walls. You can't win a war by staying within your own walls. So absolutely build up that foundation, that defensive foundation. Guard your gates. That was our title from last week. Guard the gates. Then if you want to win the war, you got to go on offense. You have to go on the attack. And that's what we're talking about today, and I'm excited. So let's open up Genesis 11, verses 1 through 9. This is the story of the Tower of Babel. A lot of you might know this story. Genesis 11, verse 1, it says, At one time, all the people of the world spoke the same language and used the same words. As the people migrated to the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia and settled there. They began saying to each other, Let's make bricks and harden them with fire. In this region, bricks were used instead of stone, and tar was used for mortar. Then they said, Come, let's build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. Which, by the way, sounds like a positive thing, right? We, we're all about unity. We're all about being together. But the issue with this, the reason that God has a problem with this, just a few, as a matter of fact, I'll read it. In chapter 9, just a couple chapters before, God specifically gives the command. Uh, he said, God blessed Noah and his sons and told them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. So he's specifically telling them, go, scatter. I don't want you staying concentrated in one spot. I want you to go, fill the earth, scatter. But they said, no, we don't want to do that. We want to stay here in this one spot. We all want to be together. We want to uh, build this tower. So this will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. But the Lord came down to look at the city and the tower the people were building. Look, he said, the people are united, and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down and confuse the people with different languages. Then they won't be able to understand each other. In that way, the Lord scattered them all over the world, and they stopped building the city. That is why the city was called Babel, because that is where the Lord confused the people with different languages. In this way, he scattered them all over the world. All right, so God scatters them. Now let's flip Deuteronomy 32, verses 8 and 9. It says, When the Most High assigned lands to the nations, when he divided up the human race, he established the boundaries of the people, right? So that's what we just read. Tower of Babel, he divides the people. But how does he, does it? Uh, how does he do it? It says, He establishes the boundaries of the peoples according to the number in his heavenly court. For the people of Israel belong to the Lord, Jacob is his special possession. So we're getting into some unseen realm stuff, which if you uh, are not in the class, I would recommend maybe, I think we're doing another one in the fall, right? Yeah, so get signed up for that. That's gonna, I'm just going to scratch the surface here. But basically what's happening, he says, uh, he establishes the boundaries of the people according to the number in his heavenly court. So there is like these Easiest way to explain it, these like lowercase g gods, their Elohim is the Hebrew word, but um, he takes all these people, divides them up, and gives each group of people to one of these lowercase g gods. Because he's saying, if these people don't want to obey me, if they don't want to do what I'm telling them to do, they can 
I'll give them what they want. They can go have these other gods that can do what they want to do. So that was, that's what he's saying. But he says, the people of Israel belong to the Lord. So he kept Israel for himself, and all these other people groups went off and had these other gods. So we're going to flip again. Matthew 28. We're all over the place today. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. So now this is New Testament. This is post uh, resurrection. Jesus has been crucified, buried, resurrected, and this is what he tells his disciples. He says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So make disciples of who? All nations, right? So prior to this, God was just with Israel, right? He was focused on Israel. Israel were his people. The outside people did not belong to him. But because of Jesus, now he's saying, I'm open to everybody. Go and make disciples of all nations. And that's what makes the sacrifice of Jesus, it makes what Jesus did on the cross so much more powerful than than a lot of us realize. What Jesus did reversed what happened at Babel. It it made God's plan, like it, it fulfilled God's plan of wanting everyone to be his people. And that's how much he loves us, that that he sent his son to die, that while we were sinners, we are the ones that disobeyed. We are the ones that ran from him. We're the ones that saying, we want to live our own way. We want to do whatever we want. We don't want to obey your commands. That's where all of us have been at one point in our lives. But God is saying, I love you, so I'm going to send my son to die to wipe away those sins so that you can belong to me again. He's reclaiming territory. He wants to reclaim territory in your heart. He wants to reclaim territory in the city, in the country, everywhere. He's not satisfied with just keeping Israel. He's not satisfied with just one small group of people. He's coming after everybody. God is on the attack. He's on the offense. He wants to come and get all of us. He wants to reclaim us as his territory because we belong to him, and he wants us as his sons and daughters. Thank you. Man, if that doesn't get you excited, I don't know what does. That's crazy. Man, I feel an urgency that I've never felt before. And I think a lot of Christians all over the world are feeling a sense of urgency like never before. And I think it's because God is moving powerfully and he is aggressively coming to reclaim territory. Man, and he loves us so much that he wants us to be a part of it. He wants to reclaim territory in us and then he's gonna use us to go outwardly and reclaim territory in others. Man, that's so exciting. I, oh. You guys got to get more excited. Come on now. This is crazy. All right. Back a little bit in Matthew, chapter 16, verses 17 through 19. It says, Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has, re- has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. So, some context. This 
act in, in itself, Jesus coming and, and saying this uh, thing is in itself an act of uh, attack against the enemy. He's in a place called Caesarea Philippi, um, which is where Mount Hermon is, which we've talked a little bit about. This is more Unseen Realm stuff, uh, but just scratching the surface. This is basically, amongst other things, what is kind of considered the gates of hell, right? So Jesus is coming to the gates of hell, and he's saying, I'm going to build my church here, and the enemy will not be able to prevail against it, right? And, and the word conquer there, um, Dr. Michael Heiser, who recently passed, um, but he said that word right there, conquer, is actually best translated withstand. So he's saying, uh, the powers of hell will not withstand my church. That's offensive language. That's attacking language. He's not saying that my church is just going to sit back and let you do whatever you want to do. He's saying my church is going to come and attack you. We're going to come reclaim your land. We're coming after you, and you're not going to be able to withstand it. He's saying we're coming on the attack. And if we flip, uh, you don't have to flip there. It's just one verse. But uh, Revelation 1, verse 18 says, I'm the living one. I died, but look, I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. So death and the grave there is uh, translated, can be translated as Hades, just as in that Matthew verse, uh, the powers of hell um, is also translated Hades. So in both of these passages, he's saying he's coming and he's attacking the, the realm of Satan. He is, he's attacking Satan's territory. And I think what's crazy, it says Jesus has the keys of heaven. That's what we read in Matthew, right? He has the keys in heaven to give to Peter. And then in Revelation, he says he has the keys of death and the grave. So this is like what I imagined in my head as I was preparing this, I was imagining some crazy like WWE entrance or something where like Jesus is just walking in and Satan is standing there. And Jesus is like, listen, I have the keys to my kingdom. I have the keys to heaven. But guess what? I also have the keys to your kingdom. I have the keys to hell. And we're coming and we're going to attack. And we're going to take your territory. We're going to reclaim that territory because, oh, guys, come on now. This is crazy. We're reclaiming territory and he's attacking the enemy. Jesus was not passive. He, was he had a defense and a strong offense. He was not passive. He was active in attacking the enemy, in reclaiming territory. That's crazy. I just kept seeing like a WWE entrance, and it was <laughs> the coolest thing I've ever imagined in my entire life. So Jesus is both offensive and defensive. He's defending the kingdom of heaven, and he's attacking the kingdom of the enemy. So what does that mean for us? How does that apply to us? We have to do the same. We have to defend and then attack. We'll go to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. It says, a final word. Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. He says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, 
against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So that right there is massive, because how often do we look at people in general and say, this is my enemy? No, Paul is saying, we, we are not fighting against flesh and blood. We are fighting against a spiritual enemy, right? Your enemy is not your annoying coworker. Your enemy is not your jerk of a boss. Your enemy is not whoever. I don't know. People, right? It's not people. It doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter how much you don't like them. They are not your enemy, right? We have a spiritual enemy, Keep reading, it says, therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you'll be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. So right there, that's our application. We have to be defensive in the sense of right, guarding our gates, what we talked about last week, and putting on the armor of God so that we can withstand the attacks of the enemy But he doesn't stop there. He says, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This is our sword, right? We have to use this. We have to know it. We have to utilize it to come and attack the enemy. And it's a defensive tool too, right? We can use the Word of God for both defense and offense. But he's saying, use this to attack the enemy. It says, pray in the Spirit at all times, right? Our our prayers, our words, our declarations, That's our weapon against the enemy. Something important to understand, I think, is that we're in this battle whether we realize it or not, right? Satan is coming after you whether you realize it or not. God is chasing after you whether you realize it or not. You're being pulled in all these different directions. Whether you want to recognize it and acknowledge it or not, you're in this battle, right? So you might as well be on the side of God, know your weapon, put on your armor, and be a warrior for God. But you can't attack unless you first put on your armor and second, prepare your weapon. So we have to know our weapon. So few of us know our weapon. You need to be in the word, know the word, memorize the word. For that is our sword, and we have to use it. We have to declare it. There's times, I've never told this to anyone before, but there's times like when I'm at home, if I like start feeling any sort of temptation, I will just straight up start like screaming at the enemy. And that sounds wild, but like if I start getting some sort of temptation, I'm like, no, spirit of lust, spirit of anger, whatever it is, leave right now in the name of Jesus. And I'll scream at it. I'll say, get out of here. You do not belong here. I am a child of God. And that has been the best way for me to, to stay in obedience, to stay in step with the spirit. We have to be willing to yell at the enemy. We have to be willing to get aggressive. We can't be passive. We can't just sit like, oh, no, I'm getting attacked. Like, go after it. Like, we got to be active. We have to attack. We have to declare. Man, I'm getting excited. Galatians 
chapter 5, verses 16 through 23. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. I'll let that speak for itself, and then we'll keep reading. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's no law against these things. Allow the Holy Spirit to move through you. Do you see that fruit in your life? You might, not, you might not see all of it, but I think when we need to start being concerned is when the things on that first list outnumber the things on that second list. When we have all these things at list, desires of the sinful nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, anger, drunkenness, wild parties, all these things, does that describe you more than love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? Right? And, and that second list, I don't have all those things on that second list. I don't think very many of us, if any of us, have all of those things on that second list. But that's what sanctification is. That's what working towards being more like Jesus is. It's a process. So are you allowing the Spirit to move through you? Are you allowing him to clean out those rooms are you allowing him to occupy you and then move outwardly toward you? And I think that goes along so well also with um, our spiritual gifts. If you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, it says a spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other, right? Not so we can sit and have it for ourselves, not so we can be proud of ourselves for having a spiritual gift, so that we can go and help others, so that we can be active, so that we can attack, so that we can reclaim territory. And so are you letting the Spirit move through you? I think there's, it's easy to be confused, like what does that mean? Practically, how do we make that happen? And I would say the number one thing is just obedience. Open yourself to him and then do what he tells you to do. If you sit in prayer, if you sit in silence and just listen for him, that's how you open yourself up to him, and, and you'll hear him say something. Maybe not right away. Maybe you'll have to sit in silence for a long time, but eventually you will hear him say something to you and ask him specific questions. God, how do you want me 
to, to move. What do you want me to do in this situation? Specific questions. You'll get an answer. But then you have to actually do what he tells you to do. That's the hard part. You have to be obedient to what God is telling you to do. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, do not stifle the Holy Spirit. What that means is when he tells you to do something, when the Holy Spirit is leading you in a direction, if you ignore that, that's exactly what they did at Babel, by the way. That separates us from God. That stifles the Holy Spirit. So don't lock the Holy Spirit in one room. When we receive the Holy Spirit, it's so easy to just lock him in one of those 90 rooms and say, the rest are mine. That's what we talked about last week. It's so easy to lock him in just one of the rooms. Or even, even if he has all of the rooms, it's still easy to just keep him locked inside of our temple. It's easy to just shut the windows, shut the doors, keep him for ourselves. But God is saying, let him move through you. Let him be radiant. Let him come out of you and do a good work. Are you seeing these fruits in your life. Band, you guys can come up. Um, But I know a personal example in my life. Early January, like one of the times it snowed a lot, um, I was shoveling our driveway, and it was like the, like, wet, heavy snow. It was awful. My back was hurting. But I heard God saying so clearly, he said, shovel your neighbor's driveway which is like such a simple thing, you know? And I was like, all right, Ugh, I don't want to do this, but I wrestled with it for a little bit, and it was just so clear on my heart, and I was like, all right, fine, I'll go, I'll, I'll do this, I'll shovel my neighbor's driveway. And as I was shoveling, I was like, I was starting to feel proud of myself. I was like, ooh, like, I was obedient, I did what God told me to do, I'm doing a good deed, like, I started to feel good about myself. And then when I was finished with that driveway, guess what God said? He said, do another. And I said, no. <laughs> I said, no. And listen, that, that's like kind of a funny example, but I went inside from shoveling. I didn't do another driveway. And the period between when I said no and until I finally re- repented of that, I felt so disconnected from God in that season because I was disobedient, right? May, Sure, I obeyed the first time, but I disobeyed the second time. Partial, this is a quote, I don't know who said it, but partial obedience is still disobedience. Partial obedience is still disobedience. So how obedient are you gonna be? Are you gonna allow yourself to truly let the spirit move through you? To truly be obedient in every situation, even if you've been obedient for so many different tasks that he's given, so many different things, you've, you've obeyed so many commands, even if you say no just that one time, it's still disobedience. How are we going to be obedient to the Spirit? Let him move through us. We are unable to defend or attack without the Holy Spirit. When we stifle the Holy Spirit, when we keep the Holy Spirit locked in a room, we are hopeless to defend against the attacks of the enemy, and we're definitely not gonna be able to go out and attack. We're definitely not gonna be able to go and reclaim territory. We have to allow the Spirit to move through us. We have to allow the Spirit to speak in our lives, move inwardly as well as outwardly. One last passage, Luke 10. Sorry, Luke 11. 
verses 33 through 36. We read this last week. It says, no one lights a lamp and then hides it or puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where its light can be seen by all who enter the house. Your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is good, the whole body is filled with light. But when it is bad, your body is filled with darkness. Make sure that the light you think you have is not actually darkness. If you are filled with light with no dark corners, then your whole life will be radiant, as though a floodlight were filling you with light. So we read that last week. We related that to guarding the gates, right? When, what are you taking in? Is it light or is it darkness? What shows are you watching? What music are you listening to? All that stuff. What are you bringing in? Is it light or darkness? But once we make sure that what we're bringing in is light, once we allow the Holy Spirit to occupy all of our rooms, once we allow him to clean out all the darkness, once all of the dark corners have been lit up, what does it say? Be radiant. We have to let him move outwardly through us. It says, no one puts a lamp under a basket. Don't put the Holy Spirit under a basket. Don't, that, don't let that light be stifled. It says, put it on a stand where it can be seen by all. Let the Holy Spirit move through you. Don't keep him locked in. God wants to do big things through you. Listen, all of us are here because God has a plan for us. For us. All of us are here because God wants to move through us. Jesus came and died so that he could move through us, so that he can reclaim territory. He wants to reclaim territory in your heart. He wants to remove all of the dark corners. He wants to move through you. He wants to reclaim territory, not just in you, but then use you outwardly to reclaim territory in this city, in this room, in this country. He's reclaiming territory. Revival is happening not just in Asbury, not just on a Sunday morning, not just wherever. It's happening in our hearts everywhere constantly. He wants to move through you. He wants to revive you. He wants to heal you. He wants to remove the dark corners. And he wants to, oh, God, come on. This is exciting. He wants to do big things. He wants to use you. This is crazy. Man, so let's start reclaiming territory. Let's pray. God, thank you for loving us so much that you would send your son to die so that we're not stuck on the outside anymore. God, you want to bring us in. You want us to be a part of your family, and I thank you so much for that. God, you're willing to take the disobedient. You're willing to take the broken. You're willing to take the sick. You're willing to take all of us, no matter how messed up we are, no matter how many times we've screwed up, no matter how long we've been running from you. You want to take us. You want to light up the dark corners, and you want to move through us. You want to give us your spirit, and you want that spirit to move outwardly through us. So, God, today we surrender. We surrender our hearts to you. God, let our hearts be holy ground through which you move. God, I pray that you remove all of the dark corners. I pray right now that 
that the spirit of fear, that the spirit of doubt, that all these evil spirits that are attacking us right now in this moment would leave right now in the name of Jesus because you want to move. You are not going to let the schemes of the enemy hold you back from doing what you want to do, God, because you are powerful. You are the most high. Nothing will stand against you. The gates of hell will not withstand the attack of you, Lord. The gates of hell will not withstand the church. You want to move through us. You're going to do big things through us, God, and I praise you for that. I pray for boldness. I pray for courage. I just pray that you set us on fire, God, through this next song, that you just help us to surrender to you. Help us to do whatever you are calling us to do without fear. If we want to shout, if we want to raise our hands, if we want to fall on our knees and surrender, God, I pray that you give us the boldness to do that. Give us the boldness to go pray with the people who are sitting next to you. Give us the boldness to yell out your praise, God. And I pray above all that you would reclaim territory right now in this room, in our hearts, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.